All right, welcome back to the big program. 903 in the Capital Region. A uh, little GNR beer man on the text line said they played for three hours last night at Rogers. Uh, wow. Uh, time now for the Pigskin Report brought to you by Mr. Lube. Stop in now for an oil change. No appointment necessary. Be winter ready at one of their nine Edmonton locations. Mr. Lube. Dot com as we welcome in Arif Hassan from Wide Left uh, Post. Uh, uh, Arif, welcome to Sports 1440. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? Oh, just great. Uh, little GNR, you like Guns N' Roses? Yeah, of course. Oh, who doesn't? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's one of the most popular bands in the history. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, anyway, they were playing in Edmonton last night. That's why we had that music intro for you. Um, Arif, uh, did you have a good uh, a chance, first of all, to check out the Thursday nighter last night? What did you think of uh, how that game kind of transpired? A little bit of a slower start between Jacksonville and New Orleans before the Jags pulled it out late? Yeah, unfortunately, I did have the opportunity to watch the game. Uh, <laughs> it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't wonderful. Um, you know, you get kind of the sense that the Saints don't really know you know what their plan is going forward, which is always a shame to to see an organization that's done so well for so long, not really have everything together. Um, you know, like you said, Jacksonville pulling it together late. Uh, it was nice to see kind of you know Trevor Lawrence kind of live up to the hype a little bit. Would have liked to see more from people like Trevon Walker and Calvin Ridley, but um, you know, I mean, football is football. I still enjoy watching it, mm-hmm. but you know, there's maybe some better games they could have put on for Thursday night. Yeah, that's the way it seems to be uh, lately. But uh, Derek Carr is kind of going bananas every time you see him on the sidelines or you know on the field uh what do you make of his kind of animated uh attitude out there you know i i usually don't mind it when uh when players are, are animated on the sideline i mean you see it from people like Aaron Rodgers and tom brady and you know they don't get criticized because they they play well and so it kind of doesn't matter we just call them passionate but when it's a player that's struggling um we we tend to say that they're a bad locker room presence and you know, honestly, you know, the bigger concern is just cars play on the field. It looks like he just doesn't have uh, the arm that he once had. He doesn't really have uh, the poise in the pocket that he once had. Um, that's that's a bigger concern to me. Obviously, things are always going to look worse when you start blowing up on the sideline. But, yeah, that, that's part of football. It is. Uh, Raf Hassan from Wide Left uh, is part of our pigskin report this week on Sports uh, 1440. Uh, so Sunday night is the big game that you're uh, all over, or sorry, Monday night, pardon me, is the big game that you'll be uh, all over, San Fran at uh, Minnesota. Uh, Niners come in at 5-1. and one. Uh, Minnesota's 2-4. and four. Now, everyone was talking about the Niners kind of going on a bit of a roll and running a good, uh, going on a good run here after their win over Dallas Cowboys in uh, week number five, but uh, they kind of stumbled uh, last week against Cleveland. How do you how do you set this one up against the Vikings with uh, San Fran coming into town on Monday night? Yeah, I mean, their loss against uh, the Cleveland is actually pretty hard to break down because on one hand, Cleveland has the best defense in the NFL. It kind of makes sense that, you know, uh, they would struggle against a team like that. They're truly astounding. They're putting up some pretty historic numbers defensively. But at the same time, you know, San Francisco suffered a number of injuries in the game. Christian McCaffrey left partway through the game. Trent Williams had an injury. Uh, you know, they didn't have Debo Samuel for a good chunk of the game. So uh, not having some of the most important players on the roster when they're very dependent on some of those skill positions players, you know, that plays a role and they may not have those players for uh, Monday night against the Vikings and not having those players obviously will impact their chances. So the question is, you know, did they lose because, you know, the Browns are so good defensively or is it because they didn't have access to some of the most important players? Because the answer to that question might tell us, you know, how 
uh, that Vikings matchup is going to go because this Vikings team is a lot better than a lot of two and four teams, mm-hmm. but they're not as good as San Francisco when San Francisco is healthy. So that that I think is is going to be kind of the the crux of the game. And San Francisco, San Fran did have a chance to win it on a last second uh, field goal by uh, Mooney in there, just didn't get it done. But uh, uh, Araf Hassan is our guest on Sports fourteen forty. Um, when you look at the the Forty Niners coming in um, against a Minnesota team that, again, as you said, probably could be a little bit better than two and four, uh, is there a specific reason why you think the Vikings are where they are going into this game against San Fran? Yeah, I mean, some of it is just kind of rotten luck. I mean, that's that's part of the game. They uh, haven't been able to recover as many fumbles as, as most other teams, and you know, our data tells us that that tends to even itself out. That tends to be more luck based than skill based, um, because if you take a look at their efficiency metrics, you know, EPA per player, yards per player, whatever mm-hmm. what you want to use, they're actually about seventh in the NFL or so. You know, seventh to twelfth, depending on what metric you use, in terms of their ability to move the ball down the field and prevent people from moving the ball down the field. The the real issue is mostly those turnovers. Obviously, some of the most costly mistakes occur in critical situations. They've had a ton of red zone turnovers. They've had a lot of drops. You know, normally, you know, you take a look at a team like this, you talk, you think about turnovers, you say, hey, isn't that the quarterback's fault? And, you know, Kirk Cousins has made some mistakes, but overall, you know, he's played extremely well. It's really just, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these receivers are dropping the ball. Sometimes there's some fumbles that are outside of Cousins' control uh and, and it really makes a team that's playing a little bit like a four and two team uh come out like a two and four team yeah cousins has been really good really when you think about it without justin jefferson uh the last couple of weeks uh, how is it that uh, you know cousins has not seemed to miss a beat so far without his number one receiver you know, I think it's a little bit of a credit to Kevin O'Connell and Wes Phillips, their offensive coordinator, how they were able to design that offense. Because, you know, they know obviously they're not going to have Jefferson, and that offense is designed, as you know, around Justin Jefferson, getting him open, finding ways to maximize him. Without him, you know, they had to replace him. But, you know, they knew that they couldn't have somebody just run all of Justin Jefferson's routes and it would be okay. That's not how the offense works. So they readjusted what they were going to do, you know, put some, you know, receivers up on deeper routes than they're normally used to running, change the structure of their offense to make sure that there's always going to be somebody available, short, intermediate, and deep. And Cousins executed really well. Unfortunately, uh, none of the receivers won any of their contested catches. You take a look at contested catch rate, they won 0-4. They also dropped four passes, which I think um, combined, that's the most in the NFL last week, which means that Cousins actually mm-hmm. um, has suffered the most receiver drops uh, in the NFL out of any quarterback uh, this season. So it's it's been it's been tough for him in a season where you know I, I criticize him a lot, but in a season where he's actually playing pretty well, it's been tough for him to get everything going. Arif Hassan uh, from Wide Left Post is our guest on um, the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. TJ Hawkinson, would you say he is the second best tight end in the NFL right now? I think that if 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 I was going to take a look at kind of what I think his best play is going to be going forward, I'd probably put him behind Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard, George Kittle, and Travis Kelsey. Okay. But I don't know that there's 
maybe anyone else that I will put in that conversation above him. We'll see kind of what Sam Laporta is doing uh, with the Detroit Lions. He's he's a really great player, and of course, having him in the conversation has a kind of a nice consistency to it, given where Hawkinson used to play with the Detroit Lions. Um, but I wouldn't say he's the second best or anything like that because he's got to he's got to nail down some of those drops and contested okay. catches that I was talking about. He might be the biggest contributor to some of those concerns. I'm not worried about it going forward, but I think that. You know, if we're talking about performance, um, what he's done so far, he's not quite lived up to that new contract just yet. I think he will, but he hasn't done it yet. That's fair. But, I mean, man, he's having a pretty good season for sure. Uh, there are There's a grouping, as you mentioned, right behind Travis uh, Kelsey, as we guess, with Arif Hassan on Sports 1440. Defensively, what do you, what's catching your eye uh, with, the, with the Vikings right now? I mean, Jordan Hicks had a great game last week. Uh, Daniel Hunter's been there. Uh, these are probably the two keys on this defense. Uh, what are you seeing from uh, the purple people eaters on D? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Daniel Hunter's having a remarkable season. I think he currently leads uh, the NFL in sacks, and though you might take somebody like a Miles Garrett or a T.J. Watt or a Micah Parsons above him, there's just not many people that you would say are playing you know better football than Daniel Hunter, so certainly that's a credit to him. But also just a big credit to Brian Flores. You know, This defense is probably not as talented as it was last year, but it's playing a lot better than it was last year. And I think it's because of the new defensive coordinator, Brian Flores. And part of what he's doing is, you know, he's blitzing a lot. It sounds pretty simple, but it's working. You know, last year, the, the team that blitzed the most in the NFL, I think it was the Buccaneers, they blitzed at a 40% clip, you know, which is a lot. That's a ton. Uh, this year, the Vikings are blitzing at a 60% clip. It's, it's not even in the same realm uh, as, as other teams. So they're sending extra rushers after the quarterback, forcing quarterbacks to throw quickly. And then you get to rely on players like Caleb Evans and Byron mm-hmm. Murphy in single coverage who are doing a pretty decent job uh, in order to kind of shut things down. Now, the Vikings defense is not the best in the NFL or anything like that, but over the last three weeks, you know, they've they've played a little bit, something resembling top 10 football, which is always nice to see. Uh, We find your stuff at Wide Left, uh, kind of a newsletter that uh, covers the NFL and the Vikings kind of in all categories. Kind of express yourself on that journey where you went uh, from where you were again at the athletic and things like that. Now, kind of giving your getting your information across at wide left. Yeah, of course. So, you know, it's wideleftpost.substack.com. Uh, it's a subscription newsletter, but there's a, a lot of free content on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea behind it is, you know, I've worked for a lot of big media organizations like the Athletic, like Pro Football Network, and I've really enjoyed, you know, the experience and the tools that's given me. Um, but with the opportunity that, that a newsletter like this provides is it gives me um, a lot more range and latitude to express myself and write about the stories that I think are the most interesting. I, get, I don't have to worry about word limits or anything like that. I don't have to worry about search engine optimization. I kind of hate learning about those kinds of tools. I just want to write good articles. Uh, and then also, um, I write a little bit about football. I, like, I read a lot about the Vikings. I read a lot about the NFL. But I also sometimes write about my personal experiences within the industry. I talk a little bit about how sports reporting works. Um, I talk a little bit about stuff that interests me. I've got a couple of political posts that are up there. Uh, and uh, I do enjoy you know, not having to worry about you know, pleasing corporate sponsorship or anything like that. So that I think is has been kind of the 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 journey that has led me there. Is you know the ability to value my independence. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, that's kind of where um, journalism broadcasting's gone. Uh, you know, I, I've been in it for thirty three years, and it's changed so much uh, in the last uh, few years for sure. What's what's the reaction been uh, with Wide Left Post? 
Oh, people have been really wonderful and supportive. I, I didn't actually expect this many people to, to sign up for it. And the thing that, that I found really curious is, you know, I, I, I do want to write about some of the more controversial political non-football topics, you know, in the NFL. And I was always a little bit worried about kind of what my subscriber base would think about it. And even though there's a lot of people who don't, you know, agree with me, I got a really enthusiastic response to some of those pieces because, you know, people like having, you know, well thought out, um, you know, hopefully well thought out opinions written mm-hmm. on some of the more pressing topics that we have. Uh, and uh, and so it's been it's been a really fun journey. I had a, a huge spike in readership after talking about some of the news that we've we've you know had to deal with the past week. Yeah. Uh, and that's just because people really enjoy reading that kind of stuff. Well, uh, appreciate your time today and uh, read a couple of your articles. They're very well thought out, very well uh, put together. Uh, wish you all the best. Enjoy the game on uh, Monday night. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, that's Arif Hassan, Wide Left Post, uh, the pigskin report brought to you by Mr. Lube. Be winter ready at mrlube.com. When we come back on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440, we will check in with Andy Petrillo from One Soccer and CBC Sports. A big, big day in Canadian soccer history with um, Christine Sinclair retiring after... Uh, the most wonderful career in uh, soccer history, not just in women's soccer in Canada, not just in soccer in Canada, but soccer around the globe. Andy joins us next on Sports 1440. Stay with us. Oh, yeah, well, that is uh, an appropriate song when we're going to talk about our um, next subject with our next guest. Uh, Andy Petrillo from uh, One Soccer and CBC Sports uh, joins us now. Um, Andy, thanks for coming on on uh, short notice. I bet you're doing about 100 shows today uh, talking about uh, Christine Sinclair, but uh, I think we all knew that this was sort of coming, but it just uh, makes today's news sort of give a little tug at the heartstrings, doesn't it? For sure. Um, and, and you're right. I think a lot of us were just waiting for that shoe to drop because we all knew it was coming and a lot of that also had to do with her not really talking about um, her future after the world cup and then after that second olympic qualifying game against jamaica and toronto the cameras were on her and she was sobbing she was crying and they weren't happy tears of yay we just qualified once again for the olympics to go and defend our gold it was noticeable that there was some nostalgia to those tears and her teammates were consoling her and right away, you know, of course, as, as media members, you see that and you start to ask the questions and you just kind of got the sense that with these FIFA windows, so obviously this one coming up 28, 31st, there's going to be some more windows announced end of November, early December. Uh, the belief is that those games will also be on Canadian soil, mm-hmm. that it's going to be the farewell tour. And then it pretty much got confirmed. Uh, it, you know, Christine St. Clair puts out late last night on Instagram, the shoes yeah. hanging over the crossbar. You know, it's really sad. And then, of course, now she's she's put out another media outlet, an open letter mm-hmm. to herself, 16-year-old self. So we all, we all knew it was coming, but you're right. It's, it's still sad because, you know, this is somebody who's 40 mm-hmm. who, you know, started representing her country at 16. We've only ever known soccer in this country, you know, for the longest time with Christine St. Clair. So, yeah, it's definitely sad. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it's a good sad, I think, because when you're looking back on such yeah. a, a wonderful career as uh, Andy Petrillo guest with us on Sports 1440, uh, when you mentioned about her writing this letter to her 16-year-old self, I, I couldn't help but go back. And we were talking about it earlier this morning, Andy, and uh, 21 years ago when they had the under-19 World Championships here. Mm-hmm. In Edmonton, I mean that was the that's when soccer in Canada for girls 
and women just took off. I mean, I'm sure you remember uh, that, uh, you know, that tournament here. Uh, Carol Lang was 15 years old. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. a joy. Uh, I mean, they brought the country together. They brought our city together. Was, you know, Commonwealth was packed. And this has, you know, a lot to do with Christine Sinclair. And she kept it going for over, you know, over 21 years just since then. It's amazing. It is incredible. And I, you know, shout out to the Edmonton fans because you really do show up between that, which where they were sellout crowds. Yeah. Um, you know, I was there obviously a couple of years ago as well for the men's World Cup qualifying against Costa Rica and Mexico when it was literally snowmageddon. Yeah. But everybody showed up. It was it was just really special. The fans show up in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, for Christine Sinclair, to your point, I mean, over 20 years, it was this coming out party of this young girl and she scored goals and just never stopped scoring goals. She is the all-time international goal scorer for both men and women, 190. Um, She's one of the most capped as well at about 300. So this is not somebody that, you know, made their debut for Canada and then kind of hopped in here and there. I mean, to your point, she made her debut and then just never stopped performing for this country. And the the bronze medal, as many, you know, people will, will recall from 2012, what made that special was the drama in the semifinal game against the United States. Mm-hmm. And to this day, everyone still feels like, you know, Canada was hard done by, the ref uh, got it wrong. I mean, a small little rule here just to kind of bring everybody up to speed. Obviously, a goalkeeper can only hold on to a ball yeah. for a certain amount of time before they have to give a goal kick. Every single goalkeeper goes over that time, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the, the ref will oftentimes give a warning, like, yo, put it down, you got to kick it, let's go. Uh, but it is so rare that they would actually give a yellow card to a goalkeeper. So, of course, that ended up happening against Canada. Um, and then everything that happened after that, the Americans go on and win. But the story we heard afterwards was Christine Sinclair in that locker room and rallying the troops and telling them how proud she was of them and telling them that there was no way that they came all this way not just, you know, as, as a team, but as a, as a federation, right? Like this is a team that had not done well at the Olympics. This was a team that finished dead last at the World Cup before these London 2012 mm-hmm. games. And she brought them all together, brought them to tears, and then went out and did, you know, obviously what they did in that bronze medal game against France and Dinah Matheson getting the winning goal and their bronze medalists. And from there, we know they get another bronze and now Olympic champion. So it's not just the fact that she's been part of this national team, Kevin, as you mentioned. It's it's the fact that she's been crucial to this national team. She's been the face of it. And, and, you know, when you you look at the news coming out last night and today, it's not just in Canada. It's it's worldwide. That's how much she means to the game. So that, that has to, again, when you look at her and what she's meant to the game as a broadcaster and you've interviewed her, I don't know, dozens and dozens and dozens of times, that must make you even feel good that you've, you've been a kind of a part of her, you know, growing the game and growing it for Canada, growing it for Canadian girls. I'd love to say I interviewed dozens of times because, as we know, Christine St. Clair hates like mm-hmm. which, which is why you know so many of us are like, Christine, let us just give you your flowers. But, yes, I've, I've had the privilege of interviewing her a handful of times, and she is funny. Like, she's got a dry sense of humor. I really wish she'd show it more. But, you know, that is who she is, right? She's the introvert. She'd rather do her talking on the field. But to your point about, you know, worldwide respect, it was a couple of years ago. I think it was Megan Rapino, and um, I think it was FIFA had put out on Twitter, you know, one of their little cheeky questions, 
you know, who uh, is like a really good player who has never won the Ballon d'Or, which we know is like this ultimate prize for a footballer to get. You are the footballer of the year. And Megan Rapinoe, okay, arch nemesis, as we know, Canada, USA, wrote Christine Sinclair. And then jokingly said, I'm going to go wash my mouth out with soap now. Or, you know, something along those lines, right? It was, but it was true. Like, that was, to your point about respect, everyone knows how phenomenal she is. Everyone also knows how she hasn't really been respected, I would say, maybe more so by the Federation, maybe FIFA on this global stage. Um, and then Megan Rapino was the one who came out and said, this is one of the greatest footballers to have actually never won Ballon d'Or. Um, so a lot of people, you know, they recognize, and I, and I don't know why that is, Kevin. We've, we've analyzed mm-hmm. this, you know, until the cows come home. Is it because she's such an introvert? Is it because she's not in the limelight? Is it because she doesn't demand the attention? So sometimes, is it out of sight, out of mind? I, I don't know, right? Because in this day and age of social media and, and being a brand, does that matter? But I would say to the federations, it shouldn't because she's done her talking on the pitch. And, and I definitely think that they should have acknowledged her more. But she's getting her due now. The, the people that I would say matter, like the fans, mm-hmm. yeah, her opponents, they all know her worth and what she's meant. Well, uh, as we're guesting with Andy Petrillo from One Soccer and CBC Sports, I look at it like this uh, when I when I think of her, and I've never had to, the the privilege privilege like you have, Andy, to, to do on one on one with her or anything like that. But I look at it when I see her and everything she's accomplished. I go, um, it's it's country first, team first, and then club first, and and then everything else kind of after that. Would you kind of maybe agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that Christine St. Clair loves the game. It's almost like it, it comes even sometimes before life, mm-hmm. right? Like it is definitely all about playing this sport. What can she do to make herself better for the sport? How can she prepare for the sport? Uh, and this is also somebody, you know, we mentioned about club, like is a champion with Portland Thorns. So she's a champion through and through. And that's why I think as disappointing as the World Cup was to just, you know, not even make it out of the group stage. Mm-hmm. I still think she's going out on top as the Olympic champion. So I think that's very special. But uh, this, is, this is somebody where it's been all about, you know, the, representing the Maple Leafs, represent, being a team player, being that captain, and then, of course, getting it done and winning championships with Portland Thorns in the NWSL. And she's also been very vocal already. I can only imagine it'll get louder mm-hmm. with Project 8, and trying to bring a domestic league to Canada as well. And you know that it's been all about the sport, because even in the letter that she wrote to herself, there's that snippet where she acknowledges, she's like, I knew it was time, and I'm paraphrasing here, but she basically said, I knew it was time when I was starting to look forward to the off-seasons. Because mm-hmm. before, <laughs> she never looked forward to off-seasons. It was all about play, 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 prepare, prepare, prepare. Yeah. And she just knew that when she started to look forward to off-seasons and actually wanted to live a life and go on vacation, that's when she knew. Um, so to your point, yeah, yeah, she puts sport first all the time. For sure, yeah, everything ahead of herself. The only, I mean, I, I'm just thinking for some reason the subway commercials coming to my mind, you know, and she's 
you know, and I don't know why that just came to my, my mind, Andy, but I, I don't recall her doing a lot of, you know, endorsements in the sense of like she was out there, you know, early on in her career. And then just to see the Subway commercial, I don't know, maybe it's been on all the time, but I, I don't know why that just came to my mind, but <laughs> it's kind of weird. So when you mentioned, Andy, the fact that, uh, you know, the, the Women's League and maybe uh, this is on the radar for, for her to be a part of, to get going, would you say that would be maybe her next biggest passion? Uh, yes to be seen. Um, but if I were to take an educated guess, I would say yes. Now, from what I also understand, she's retiring from the national team, mm-hmm. not the pro game. So she'll continue to play, I believe, at least one more year for the Portland Thorns. Right. So after that, and let's also remember that Project 8 is aiming to launch in 2025. So if she does play one more year, that will take her through to 2024. She'll represent once again Portland. Um, so does that mean maybe the final year of her pro career could be her first year with Project Aid and, and trying to help that league get off the ground and be this big name, big face, mm-hmm. and a big draw for fans? That would be my educated guess, but of course that would be something uh, she would have to answer. But again, I think she will be playing one more year for Portland. Yeah. But again, that doesn't mean she isn't lending her support. In fact, when Diana Matheson, who's heading up Project 8, first made the announcement, it'll be about a year ago now, it was Christine Sinclair who was by her side, endorsing it and promoting it as well. So a lot of um, current players, former players, do have their fingerprints all over this project. So I think she'll still lend her voice, whether she'll lend her skills in 2025. That'll uh, be yet to be seen. I, I really agree with you, Andy, that she's going to have an integral part of, of this moving forward. Um, just because, you know, she's grown the game so much, but I think in her heart she's going, I still have a little bit more to give, not on the pitch, but in the sense of we can make the game even bigger and better as far as women's soccer goes uh, in, in Canada. We're, we're at, at what um, level do you think that the program with her leaving now um, uh, what kind of shape is is the the national women's team in right now? Do you is it still great? Are they still a top ten nation? Where, where where do you see that? I still think this is a strong team. I I really do, and I mean they they got the job done against Jamaica and those two Olympic qualifiers really without her. I mean she she didn't play in that first game, and in the second game she came on when it was already in the bag. And mm-hmm. the Canadians knew they had defeated Jamaica in that two-legged playoff, and they were going. So this is a team, I think, that um, has been preparing for this for, for quite some time. And I think they've also come to the realization, and even we as media members and probably, you know, the nation, because the whole talk was always about who's going to be the next Christine St. Clair and who's mm-hmm. going to fill those shoes. And I think we've all come to the realization you're not going to do that. There's not going to be an ex-Christine St. Clair. I know sometimes we throw around generational talent like it's candy, but generational talent should be just that, generational. Mm -hmm. It's special. And I don't think we're going to see another Christine St. Clair for many, 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 many years. And I think the program and all of us have accepted that. And that's okay. This is a team now that scores by committee. I do believe Bev Priestman, you know, like I said, with her not... Uh, getting as much playing time either, really, when you think about it at the World Cup, and then, of course, in these two crucial games, really only coming in uh, in the second part of that Jamaica game, in the second game. I, I think Beth Priestman has already moved on as well and has brought in certain players and has created a certain formation that doesn't revolve 
mm-hmm. around Christine St. Clair. And I think a lot of these players are starting to adapt to that. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how they do here. They have these two games against Brazil. They're going to have two more games. As I said, that'll be announced shortly by Canada Soccer, all in preparation for the Olympics next year. But I think this is a team that just has already been preparing for this move and has already accepted that they're never going to replace her. They're just going to have to change. And uh, I think the program is in good hands. I, I really, really do. There's some exceptional players, uh, young players that now Bev Priestman is calling in as well, who she wants to give some time to. So we'll, uh, we'll see how this program looks in the new year yeah. without Christine St. Clair. Andy, did you get a chance to read the entire article that Christine penned to her 16-year-old self, or just have you been doing every radio show across the country so far this morning? <laughs> well, that, I've been trying. You're, you know what? It's funny you should say that because it's so true. I've been trying to read it here and there yeah. as I've been doing interviews, so I've caught little things uh, here and there. So I don't know if there's anything you'd like to share. Uh, you know what? I just kind of, uh, you know, it's in it's in the Globe and Mail. It says it's an exclusive to the Globe and Mail, which is great um, but it talks about everything and you know I, I I've been listening to you so I just sort of pulled it up just now but I just wanted to kind of at the very end uh, it just says uh, PS Portland how about one more year <laughs> well there you go so yeah. I there you go so she confirms that I just kind of had that feeling I just knew that she would go in her uh, pro excuse me pro one more year mm-hmm. this is more of her retiring from the national team. So Portland, by the way, in the playoffs, they've advanced straight to the semifinal. Those begin uh, early November. So she still has a chance to win another title this year before even going at it again next year. So we'll see. Well, I'm just, and one quick one for you, Andy. It just says, you'll learn Canadian women's national team players were playing for $10 a day. You'll hear the prize money for the women's World Cup is going to increase only for the men's uh, prize money to increase by more, widening the pay gap. You'll witness young girls slip through the developmental cracks because of the lack of a legitimate pathway to the national team. And that's why I just see her doing so much more off the pitch here. I mean, I think she's got so much power here. She really does. And I think in every person's um, career, especially if it's one where they can influence a large group of people. So we'll, you know, we'll, we'll just talk sports Mm -hmm. in the beginning. And I think this is all very natural. You do what you need to do for yourself. You do what you need to do to be the best. You do what you need to do to win championships. You do what you need to do for your team. Then I think you reach a point, not just in your career, but in your life, where you start to realize now it's time to give back. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that is at the end of their career. And that's okay because now you have the credentials, which means now you have the voice and you have what, you know, people will look up to. And that's where I believe Christine Sinclair is in her career. In the beginning, she needed to focus on herself. She couldn't have been as great for the national team and for her pro team if she didn't just focus on herself. And I think now, older, wiser, and everything's kind of coming to an end, she realizes she has more to give off the pitch. So this does not surprise me at all that she's found her voice in this part of the game. Well, you know, Andy, you've uh, articulated uh, her journey so well in the last 15 minutes. So appreciate your time. I can't imagine. Are you going to do, what, 30 or 40 uh, hits today across the country? (laughs) I have... No problem talking to Christine Sinclair. <laughs> this is going to be a fantastic day, Kevin. <laughs> oh, well, really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for coming on and enjoy the weekend. And uh, when you read the article, I think you will get a little choked up. I think you will. So, 
Okay. All uh, right. Well, now, now, now you've prepared me. Thank you so much, Kevin. It was th- great being on. No, thank you, Andy. Appreciate your time. That's uh, Andy Petrillo from One Soccer and CBC Sports. Just a, a remarkable career. And again, uh, Andy Petrillo is uh, as good as it gets uh, in the broadcasting industry, you know, in soccer and hockey and Olympics and things like that, uh, to uh, pass on the message and pass on, I think, what the athlete is thinking and feeling. And I think we got that in the last uh, little bit. So thanks to Andy for that. We'll have a little open time with the Duke. Talk a little, well, maybe Thursday night football, maybe a little baseball. We probably sh- little baseball with the Duke. Uh, Eddie Steele came back into the studio with his family doing a little tour and has scooped up the rest of the goods <laughs> from Bonton and then departed. Uh I think he'll be back. He's not. He'll be back. He'll uh, be back. And then also, uh, uh, Patty from the CBH is coming in and said uh, on his uh, text, uh, Duke, what did he say? Hope you boys are hungry. Patty from the brew house. Yikes. This could be danger. Patty's coming with all the beef. Yeah. So that's the 40-ounce steak night. Yeah. It's, like, uh, tomorrow night at the CBH. Uh, if you can still get tickets, well, they might be yeah, well sold here's out. Here's Eddie. Yeah, he's, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's got the box. It's empty. But, he heard me. Yeah. He heard me. Uh, much more coming up on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back to the big program. Uh, 943 in Edmonton. And... Uh, we have a, a special guest in the studio is Eddie Steele uh, went to pick up his family. His wife, Stephanie's here and his son, Jackson. Good morning, Jackson. How are you? Good. How's your tour of West Edmonton Mall going? Good. What did you go see so far? I see, I see, I went to a Brooks. Yeah, exactly. And now, uh, how old are you, Jackson? I'm six. Six years old. What grade are you in? Grade one. Yeah, grade one and no school today. Yes. That's the best part. Yes. Yeah, and now you came into the studio because your dad left a couple of Bonton Bakery treats and now you're having a cookie. Yes. Yeah. Does it get any better than that? Yes. It does? <laughs> what? How can it get better than that? Because I... We're coming. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, so do you, uh, did you ever um, see old video of your dad playing football? Yes. Was he a good player? Yes. How good of a player was he? He is good. He, he was a strong player? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, does, and what uh, do you do? You like sports? Do you like football? Yes. Now I see as we're speaking with Jackson Steele, you like playing soccer. Yes. Yeah, but I see that you've got a jacket on, and it's a Saskatchewan Rough Rider jacket. Yes. Oh my goodness! I don't know about that. Yeah. Is that okay? Free clothes. Free clothes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish you guys could see this right now. So we've got uh, Jackson, Steele, Eddie, Steele, and then Stephanie sitting with us in the studio. Eddie had to come back to get a few of his Bonton Bakery treats, and he's coming back at 1020 uh, when Patty from the CBH comes in with his 40-ounce steaks. So, Like I said, I had my ribeye last night. Yeah. So um, what kind of cookie did you have there, Jackson? Chocolate chip? Yes. Wow. You, you know what? You'd be a good uh, person to interview because if I said it, whatever, you would just say yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love you, buddy. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. good stuff. Good. Do you think you maybe want to be a broadcaster like your dad someday? Yes. What about a soccer player? Yes. Was it fun coming and talking on the radio, son? Yes. I think we all knew the answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so hey, much, Hey, no worries. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, yeah uh, that's Eddie Steele and son Jackson, the next co-host. Who knows? It could be a father and son co-host coming up in the near future. Maybe call it 10, 12 years down the road. You could be a broadcasting uh, father and son duo on Sports 1440. Do you, would you like that idea, Jackson? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thanks for coming in. That's That was awesome. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for coming in. That was great. Um, 10 o'clock, we'll have Kelly Rudy coming up. Uh, have a good one, Jackson. See you later, big guy. They're just leaving the studio. That was fun. Uh, Pillman goes, laugh out loud totally. Yeah, that was that was fun. Um, the new Friday segment, the curious case of oh the curious case is that what that means yeah that's that's uh, that's, from, that's what we call a play on words kevin i get um, it how about scalding gourd though this is the dawning of the age of kevin curious yeah we've heard that one before pillman goes lo totally it was good yeah can we get a no out of that kid that was good uh every, I, I, like i just said uh, to pillman yeah. it's excellent. every every uh, operation needs a good yes man and we got ours with we the did. young mr steel yeah, jackson steel that was good um so kelly rudy at 10 o'clock then we'll have patty from the cbh and then at 10 40 quick little interview with mike Englehart, creative di- director of ea sports it's in the game as we uh, check in with uh, their new i guess it would be nhl 24 uh is it already the nhl 24 correct so it's a little different than the game I used to play back in... Blades of Steel? No, I ne- you know what? I'll be honest, Duke. I never, ever played uh, any... Vi- I, I was a big video guy, um, but I had... Uh, what was the name of it? Nintendo. And then like about, the, the original Nintendo? In baseball. The baseball one, I remember, the, because it was cool. Uh, it was the Houston Astros and Terry Poole. We had him on, uh, on Monday, but he was on the game. It was in 1981, 82, somewhere in there. So uh, Nolan Ryan, uh, uh, Mike Scott was throwing smoke back in the day, uh, which was a lot of fun playing those games. Uh, so Mike Engelhart from uh, EA Sports, the creative director at uh, 1040. Uh, so last night, Duke in the majors of baseball, man, oh, man. Uh, you thought Arizona D-backs were dead, but they come back and tell Marte with a walk-off hit in the ninth. They were chasing him all over the field. They couldn't catch him. Finally got him, but 2-1. Now D-backs right back in that series. Um, everyone thought this was going to be a four-game sweep with Philadelphia, the way the, the Phillies were just humming along. But this game, this series is far from over. You win one more, and now it's just in the same boat that what Texas and Houston are in. So uh, did you – okay, so last night you had the game on until something happened with the satellite. Then you went to Thursday Night Football, but they have baseball on – I mean, you got five TVs. There's no way everyone can watch everything at once. That's what makes it tough. And yeah. and I obviously love going out to watch games, uh, whether, you know, at the CBH, obviously on Thursday nights when I'm there for football. But the fact it was Oilers night as well was an added bonus. We gave away some some Oilers tickets for the Saturday game in addition to the, the chances to win tickets to the Super Bowl, like Connor and I do every mm-hmm. Monday and Thursday. But yeah, it's in when you're at a bar watching the games, it is tough because the, the TV's, 
rarely are two TVs beside each other playing yeah. the same thing, right? That's that's the point. But to watch two or three things, you, you're turning, you're moving around. Whereas, like in the comfort of my home, on the big screen, I can do the uh, the split screen yeah. thing, right? So I can have uh, on one half or in like last night's, I would have had the football in one corner, baseball, and then probably two hockey games. Kind of a four a four split option there. We had a suite set up in the uh, global studio uh, sports department, not studio. I had basically four TVs going right together. It was just great at this time of the year, but obviously hard to keep an eye on things. So uh, Jose Abreu, three-run blast. Hey, is there a chance? This is very short notice. Maybe we can get it for the end of the show. Uh, When I was driving in today, I just flicked through the channels. I listened to Fox Sports on our channel uh, on 1440. Uh, They were in a break, so I flipped over to uh, listen to Steve Phillips, and he was talking about the uh, home run call by in the Jose Abreu home run. And I believe it was Sparks, the Houston play-by-play guy, the home play-by-play guy. Uh, But it was quite a phenomenal home run call. So I'm not sure if we can get that audio for like in an hour from now. Do you know what what I'm talking about? uh, No. Well, I had the Abreu home run in the intro, but that was the national TV call. So I will uh, try and get the local one. There was some Spanish in there (laughs) and I I didn't catch it all, but I just, and I just caught the very end of it, but it was a neat home run call. And and Phillips actually thought it was uh, Steve Phillips in the morning that I was listening to kind of thought it was pretty, pretty nifty. So Houston back in that series, the Astros, uh, I mean, they've got so much power. I mean, we've talked about Jordan Alvarez all week, uh, all playoff. He's mashing the ball. Almost, he missed a grand slam, I guess, last night by just a hair. That allowed Abreu to hit the three-run home run. Jose Altuve with another home run. Hunter Brown comes out uh, out of the bullpen. He was, uh, he's probably, he's one of the top arms uh, for the future of this team. Uh, young guy really hit a wall in probably halfway through the season for the Astros and now he's coming out of the bullpen throws three scoreless innings Texas doesn't Texas can't match the pitching of of Houston right now Texas needs to get back on the road Houston needs to get back at home for the Rangers to have any sniff yeah yeah we talked about it with uh, our guest yesterday um, Bob Nightingale about how the fact that yeah like it, it's almost flip flop when you compare like the Philly Arizona series. That's looking like it's going to be a battle of home field advantage, uh, at least through three, three games. That's the case. Whereas this Houston and Texas one is is obviously completely flipped to that. Um, I got a text, uh, personal text coming in um, from Grant. He will sh- shall rename nameless uh, regarding uh, Jackson Steele <laughs> coming on. Uh, was that Jackson or? Your wife, Laura, just going, yes. Oh, Lord, yes. Kevin. Yes. This is a family program. Yes. No, but I'm not, we're talking about everything. Like, you know, talking about everything, not just what you're talking about, Duke. That never even entered my mind. Oh, well. You know. I think I'm in the majority here as the way you phrased that. No, and no, up. no, no. It's about like, you know, just kind of saying yes to most things that I ask. You know, that's how it goes, Duke. Oh, we better get away from that right now. Uh, text coming in to uh, 1-833-401-1440. Um, yes, RBI Baseball was the NES game. That comes from Tyler J. And that's the game that we used to play. NES didn't exist till 1982. Uh, very, okay, so 82, I'm off by a year. But that was uh, what we used to play back in the day when we were... 
Young and Dumb for sure. NES. Um, man, that was that, those games were. It was a different. I mean, and I had an Atari back in the day. I think a lot of guys maybe had that. I remember they were very costly. The Ataris back in the late seventies were they cost four hundred bucks because I remember paying for it. Uh, when I was the Dickie D ice cream salesman, I used all the cash that I made the one summer to buy an Atari for four hundred bucks. What are you laughing at, Duke? I mean, uh, it's the you know the Atari situation, and it had the one joystick. I think we were talking VHS yesterday. Yeah, and- VHS, Atari, Atari had the Space Invaders. They yes. had um, they had baseball on there, but it was pretty bad. Uh, they did have a baseball game. This is pro, uh, like I guess, right after Pong. Atari was the next thing after Pong, if you can believe that. Oh, boy. Uh, that comes from Rod. Yes, NES was... Oh, now it's 85, not 82. And Because Walter had also tacked on, yeah, the NES, uh, not what yet. Was ne- what's NES? That's ne- Nintendo Entertainment System. Oh, okay. That's the shorthand for the original okay. Nintendo. Guess- and then there, were, then there was the Super NES. So, okay, we played it probably in the late 80s then. there. Yeah. Okay, so... But it was a good baseball game. Mm-hmm. You could really put some stuff on the ball. Man, that was lots of fun. Uh, when we come back, top of the hour, we will check in with Kelly Rudy, our headliner of the day from Hockey Night in Canada, as he uh, was in Buffalo last night on the way to, t- to Toronto for tomorrow, then Detroit for the Flames game on Sunday, I do believe. But, man, that's a busy weekend. We'll check in with Kelly when we come back. Uh, Patty from the CBH and Mike Engelhart from EA Sports. It's in the game. That's coming up on the Kevin Carey Show at the top of the hour. Before that, a sports update with the Duke.